All right, tonight we are going to talk about a word that is um, probably at best overused. Um, it's a word that has lots of meanings for lots of different people. Um, this word often means anything from a religion to wishful thinking. Um, and so we want, to, we want to understand something. We, we recognize, this, this is our conviction, that we believe the Bible is God's Word and that we, we believe that it's God's Word given to us. And so um, we don't want to come to the Bible with preconceived ideas about what it means. We, wanna, we want to submit to what the Bible is, is saying to us. We believe it is a standard that, that rises above culture and time and, 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 and it's the only thing that's going to keep us honest and it's going to keep us accountable. Um, when we're wrong, it's going to confront us. Um, and so, so we want God's standard, and so we want to submit to what God's Word says, and so we want to let God's Word define this Word. And so what is the Word I'm talking about? Faith. The Word is faith. Yeah. So if you have your Bible, open to Hebrews 11. Faith. So there are a couple things I want you to be looking for as we walk through this through this text. It's a long, it's a long chapter. Um, it's like like Drew said last week. The author at the end of chapter ten starts to shift gears. Um, he spends the bulk of his letter convincing them of arguments for why they don't need to. They shouldn't turn from Jesus back to these. Um, back to under the law, back to um, living under Levitical priesthood, back to living under these, these, these rules and regulations that, are, um, that ultimately are fulfilled in Jesus. And so uh, he, he spends the bulk of his letter saying that. Now he shifts gears, and um, now he's going to start giving examples of and, and inspiring them to um, hold on. And so... We want to look at those things. Um, so here's, here's some things I want you to be looking for as we go down through. Uh, I'll, I'll stop and point some of them out, but I want you to be looking for a definition or definitions of what faith is. I want you to be looking for any sort of description. Um, he's going he's gonna to point to several people um, that, that, that model faith and, and live it out, and we want to see what is he describing and why. We want to see, uh, I want you to notice action words that follow faith. Like, I want you to notice um, all the different ways to act out faith. Okay? And there's several words throughout the, throughout the text that are going to help us see how they did that. Um, I want you to notice anytime there is talk of things seen or unseen, things visible or invisible, um, that's a, and, and why is that a big part of of faith, and so I want you to pick up on those things, and then ultimately, I want you to see what is this, how does this word reveal God, like what, what does this reveal about the nature and character of God, so those are a couple things I want you to be noticing as we read down through it, uh, let me pray, and then we will, we'll jump in. God, we do want to submit to you, um, I ask that for everyone here, and whether that really is the the motive of every heart here, I don't know. Um, but I I ask that there will be something in tonight that would call them to submit to you and put their trust in you, and and God that we would grow in an understanding of this this idea of faith and what it means and and what it is you're asking of us and and why it's so important. And uh, ultimately, God, I pray that you speak through your word uh, to your people um, by your spirit. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Okay? Okay. So right away, he's, he's, he's jumping into a 
some, some form of a definition to faith. And he's saying, that, he's saying it's two things here, that it is this, this assurance of things hoped for. Okay? So hope is something that isn't something that you see in front of you. When you have hope in something, you, you have hope in something that's out in front of you, that's, that's, that's a, in a, a distance away, that's most likely something you can't see. And it isn't just hope in anything. It's not just hope in that everything will be okay. I think sometimes we talk about hope that way. I just I hope I have hope that it'll be okay. Why? Well, because my understanding of the way everything works is everything's supposed to be okay, which means I'm supposed to always be healthy, and uh, and things are supposed to go easy for me. So I don't, that's not the hope. Hope comes when there's a promise in something. So so there's a hope. So to have hope in something, you have to have some sort of promise in something. And, and he's describing that we need to have, that faith is an assurance of the hope for what we have, that, that we can have hope and a promise. Um, he says that it is also the conviction of things not seen. So why is it that, what is it about faith that it, it, it has to do with things not seen? Those are questions that I want to throw out that you can start asking and thinking about. Um, faith has something to do with things not seen, but it's a conviction of things not seen. Why is that? We'll see. For by it the people of old received their commendation. So he, that's an introductory sentence. He's going to basically just get, okay. Here's the people of old. He's introducing this 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 concept. This where he's going for the rest of this chapter. The people of old. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of god so that it was so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible so he starts from he starts with creation and he's saying that it is by faith that we believe things were created and he alludes to this idea of ex nihilo what do i mean by ex nihilo out of nothing um, so so he's he's pointing to the fact that we that faith is is, has, has an action. Do you, do you see the action that is behind this, this first one? Um, it says that by faith we what? Understand. understand. What do your other versions say? Understand. Did I all say understand? <laughs> okay. So understand. So, so there is, that's action. There, there is understand. Like to, to have faith in this case is to understand that God created. That, that it came from the Word of God. The Word is the word rhema. It's, it's, it's speaking a word into existence. Things that, weren't, that didn't exist before now exist because of the Word spoken by God. And he says, everything you see was made out of nothing visible. It was made out of the invisible. And so he's setting up something. What is he setting up that, that, that points to this invisible? Why is that important? We'll continue. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So what's the action that followed this faith? He offered something to God. He offered a sacrifice to God. And um, in, in the actual account in Genesis, it doesn't tell us why, um, why, Abel's, why Abel's offering was better than, than Cain's. It does, all it says here, this helps us understand that case, but there it just <laughs> says that God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice. So we know that by faith, Abel recognized something, offered something, and, and it was pleasing to God. It was the first um, act of faith that we see in the Bible by, by a person, by anyone. And it says, though, though through his faith, though he's dead, um, he still speaks. That his faith is, is what is kind of the beginning of, the first example of a person trusting God and, and, and by faith, acting. And, and so 
God is going to be pointing out something here. He's going to be pointing out his consistency. So right off the bat, you see something about the nature and character of God that he would, that he would require, that he would want faith, that he would ask for someone to um, have faith in him. Okay? And that it's always ultimately been by faith. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, the, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. If you read the story in Genesis, there's a very couple verses, not very much, about Enoch. But it says something interesting. And actually, the action that's, that follows this faith is found in Genesis. And it says that, that, that Enoch walked with God. Interesting. That he walked with God. That's the action that followed this faith. He walked with God. So, so right off the bat, we see something else about, about this action. We see a description. We see also, um, again, the nature and character of God. That, that somehow walking with God pleased God. Somehow offering a sacrifice to God that he asked pleased him. So what is about this nature and character of God? Verse 6 gives us a little more. <clears throat> Verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Okay, this is a big verse. Um, he says, Without faith it is impossible to to, believe, to please God. I think I heard Francis Chan say this once. Um, it, with faith, if it's, if it's true that without faith it's impossible to please God, is it also true that with faith it is possible to please God? Um, it sounds like a simple statement, but when put that way, um, think about the things in your life that are done by faith. Can you, can you think of things that, that you've done recently, out of faith in, in God, faith in, in Him. Um, I, I like this. He says, whoever would draw near to God must believe two things, he points out. Do you see the two things? Mm -hmm. what, what's the first one? Got to believe what? That He, is. That he exists. Yeah. Yes. This one seems obvious. Okay, yeah, you must believe that He exists. Okay, that makes sense. But, but look at the second one. This one, I think, is the one that maybe catches us off, off guard. That, he, that we must believe He exists and that, that He rewards those who seek Him. Okay? So I think he's, he's giving more definition. He's giving more description. He's also revealing something about the nature and character of God. He's saying this. If you are to act in faith... God is wanting you to not just act and just to be obedient because God wants you to do certain things. God is the kind of God that doesn't just want you to do what He says because He says it. <coughs> he also wants you to recognize something that when those who act in faith and are obedient to Him, that there is a reward for their obedience. That He is a, a Father who rewards obedience, who, 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 who rewards those who act in faith in faith, who, who reward those who believe that He is a reality and that what He asks um, has a purpose, right? That, that there, is, there is a purpose. It points to the nature and character of God. I, um, I, I think I've heard this statement, maybe you've heard it. I've, it's always rubbed me wrong. There's something about it I've liked, but, but then I can never really say it in confidence. And it goes like this. I don't know if you've heard it. The, the statement is, um, work as if everything depends on you and pray as if everything depends on God. Have you heard this before? Yeah, work as if everything depends on you and then pray as if everything depends on God. There's part of that I like because I think, I think we want to, I think we can be guilty of being lazy if we just think God's going to take care of us. But I think, I think maybe it's better, I think this verse, that verse actually gives us the answer to those two things. 
work as if God exists and He rewards those who are faithful to Him. Pray as if God exists and He rewards those who are faithful to Him, who seek Him. And I think that brings to me clarity. That, that if I truly believed God was, that He truly existed and that He was good and that the things He asks us to do are good, then, then I'm going to work hard and I'm going to trust well and I'm going to pray um, and, and, and ask for Him to do it. So, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, is reverent, in reverent fear constructed an ark for, for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So what do we see? We see a description. We see Noah acting out faith. What's the action word that followed his faith? Huh? Prepared. ESV says what? Constructed. Okay. So that's the faith that God had called him to exercise, led him to construct an ark. And it was yet unseen. There was, there was promise of something coming. And he had not seen it. And so he started constructing. And he built. And he was mocked because of it. And it says by doing that, he set himself up to be separate from to be set apart from the world and to be righteous to God, to be holy to God. And so you see, again, a little more description. You also see this being talked about. But again, the nature and character of God, that God isn't just wanting us to do things to do things, but He's wanting us to do things to set us apart for Himself, separate from the world. <clears throat> Okay, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, sorry, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to, the, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise. So what's that mean? What do tents have to do with anything? So, Abraham is called out of this land. He was called out of a people that, that didn't worship God. And he was, he was called to, to a land that was going to be his, his inheritance. But when, Adam, or, sorry, when Abraham moves there, he doesn't take up residency. He lives in tents. He's a nomad. He's a homeless traveler. And... And he recognized something, and he did it anyway. God told him, I'm going to give you a land. This is a land. But he never got to really own it. He never got to really possess it. He actually never got to see it be possessed. And it wouldn't come for hundreds of years before, before his people would, would possess it. And so he lived in tents. And it's, it's significant that... Um, that there was a this living in tents was a was a, a faithful recognition of what God was providing in the future, and they were going to, even though it wasn't theirs yet, it was theirs. They trusted, they believed, they had faith that God was going to provide it. Um, he didn't know where he was going. He walked by faith. Uh, verse ten: For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder was God. Again, faith has something to do with looking forward, has something to do with what is unseen in this case. By faith, verse 11, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Uh, I love this idea that um, this promise was given, and Sarah at first laughed um, because she thought it was funny that she, at 90 years old, would, would have finally have this child, and yet, but she, because she was a, uh, because she was, because he was faithful, God was faithful. She, she received this promise, 
And because of, she, because of receiving it, she was able to conceive um, Isaac. And it says, I love this verse, Therefore from one man, verse 12, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as, and as numerable as grains of sand by the seashore. And so you have this, this idea. He's talking about Adam or Abraham again, and he says, this one man, as he was good as dead. In other words, he was nothing when I found him. I chose him. He didn't earn this. I, I chose him, and I asked him to follow me and, and trust, believe in faith in me, and he did. And he says, out of one man who was basically dead, I birthed a nation. He says, I, and, it, and it points back to creation, that, that everything is seen came from what is invisible. Same with, same with the people of Israel, that from, from one man who was, was as good as dead came as numerous as stars in the sky. And that was the promise that was given to Abraham. Verse 13. These all died, the author takes a little break to go off on this, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are, that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. So you see all these comments. Having seen them, greeted from afar, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. These people looked forward in faith to what God would do, to the promise that He would fulfill, and ultimately the one that would would be prepared for them eternally. Verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, he considered that God was able to even raise him up from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is the only instance where it talks about Abraham, what was going through Abraham's head when he offered up Isaac. If you read the story in Genesis 22, it doesn't, it doesn't say, well, here's, what, here's, how, here's how Abraham thought through this. He, he knew that God had promised this son Isaac. He knew that, that Isaac was from Isaac was to be birthed this nation. But he also knew God asked him, and so this is what he thought. It doesn't say that in the, in the story, but the author here is pointing to the fact that here, here's, here's Abraham's choice. God said, Isaac is, through Isaac is going to birth this nation. And God also said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. And so you put these two together. The options are, God's going to raise him back from the dead, or God's going to provide a new Isaac, but, but God's going to do something because God's faithful to his word. Um, verse 20, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau when he prayed and, and gave, gave blessing. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of, his, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So by faith, he, he, he prayed a blessing, and, and it goes on that, that those two sons were split up, and those two sons become equal heirs in the twelve tribes. Of, of, of Jacob, of Israel. Um, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave um, directions concerning his bones. This is kind of interesting. So Joseph, he, you know, you remember the story, he rises to power, he's second in command, he gets, he gets the, the Jacob and all his sons and family and, and tribe and they come into Egypt to be provided for. And, and when Joseph is going to die, he says, hey, when, when we leave here, when, when we enter into the promised land, when God takes us home, I want you to take my bones with you. And so in that moment, the author is pointing out that by faith, he, he, he asked for that. He believed that God was going to fulfill the promise that was given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So this, this verse isn't talking about Moses' faith, it's talking about whose faith? His parents' faith. His parents' faith in the midst of the king's edict to, to kill all the male children, to drown them in the Nile. It says they weren't afraid because they recognized something greater. And by faith, they, they hid him. 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, who ultimately raised him, and chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In verse 26, pretty, pretty fascinating verse. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. What does it mean? How would Moses think about the reproach of Christ? How, how would he even know what that is? Um, so, he says he, he was, he says he was mistreated. Um, he says he chose to be mistreated. He chose to accept um, God's promise of these people. He chose to humble himself before God and accept who he is. And instead of all the riches of Egypt, he chose to be considered the slaves of Israel, uh, of the Israelites. And in doing that, what he was doing was choosing this idea. See, the, the people in, in the author's day, in the author to, um, to this audience that Hebrews is, that the Hebrews is for, he's looking, they're looking back through the cross to Moses. Okay? And they're saying Moses did exactly what Christ did. Christ, he, he embraced the cross because of his faith in what God would do. He, he embraced the cross knowing that on the other side there is a promise. And Moses did the same thing. He, he, he fulfilled the same thing. He embraced the suffering that, that came with being mistreated and being considered one of the Israelites um, for the sake of the promise. That's what he means by he was considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth and the treasures of, of, of Egypt. Verse 27, By faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured and seeing him who is invisible. So, by faith, he, he endured by seeing. Okay? By seeing he who is invisible. There's always a connection to what is seen and what is unseen. He leaves Egypt. He's not afraid. Um, by faith, verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and, and sprinkled the blood that, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith he followed God's instructions to paint the blood over the door and, and, uh, and Israel was saved. 29. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Um, in my daily reading, I just got done reading this story um, this morning. And it's, it's, it's amazing because um, here's this woman. I think she's like going, she's hearing the stories of Israelite and she's seeing what's about to happen and she's going, yeah, I'm with you people. Uh, they're, they're crazy. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stay with you. I think you guys are going to win. I think your God is bigger. I think all these things. And, you know, the text doesn't, it doesn't demonstrate how, how, how much she believed God. It just says she chose sides and she chose the right side. But it does go on to say that she, when, when Deuteronomy was written, she to this day, you know, her and her family remain faithful. And then she is actually counted in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. So, he's, so we've, we've got several, we've got definition, we've got several descriptions of different people and how they acted out faith. We have action that follows it's always connected to seen or unseen, and it reveals the nature and character of God. And then he, he kind of stops and says, I don't have time to go into every example, so let me just give you a, a broad stroke of the kind of things that happen to those who are faithful. Verse 32, and he says, And what more shall I say? 
For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, that's Daniel, quenched the power of fire, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, escaped the edge of the sword, that was most likely Elisha, Elijah, Jeremiah, everybody, Um, were, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight, to flight. Women received back their dead from, the re- from resurrection. And then after he gets done listing all these great things that come from faith, he, he says, just in case you think that, that anytime we act out faith, there's always a positive outcome, he lists negative outcome. <clears throat> he says, some were tortured, tortured, refusing to be to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. Um, There's talk that that Jeremiah was was stoned. Um, There's talk of Isaiah, I believe, um, was killed by a sword. It says, and, and they were killed by a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute and afflicted, mistreated. And then this sentence, I think my favorite line in all of Hebrews 11. Of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Why would it say that? And the world was not worthy. <clears throat> The world was not worthy because, because the world, because they didn't trust in the world. They trusted in God. They put their faith in Him. And their actions, even though the world hated them and, and killed them or beat them, their actions were actually faith in a God who was seeking to save the world. Like Their faith existed to ultimately trust in the one who was seeking to redeem and to restore the very people who were seeking to kill them. The world is not worthy of them because they were seeking to save the world by having faith in God. It's amazing. uh, 39 and 40. And all these, though though commended (laughs) through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us that set apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So he's saying they died ultimately and they didn't receive what you guys have now, what the people of, is, of, of this, this, this audience had, which is Jesus. That they, they, they died in faith, trusting in the promise, and ultimately that promise is fulfilled in Christ. And they never got to see it fully lived out. And so you and I get, get to, you, you and I stand in privilege on this side of the cross um, than they did. So, I don't know if this answers all of our questions about faith. I think it brings clarity. Um, I think it brings um, more purpose to this, 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 this word faith and, and the way we view it and see it. Um, but Drew's going to get up here in a moment and, and talk more about what this looks like, and, and bring, it, bring it together for us. Let me, uh, let me pray, and then we'll take a break. God, I am thankful for your word, and I, I can't help but think of men and women um, all over the, the world who are, <clears throat> who, who are by faith enduring persecution and hardship. Um, this world is not worthy of them. And Lord, I pray that that we would come away tonight uh, having a greater understanding of what you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a few minutes, take a break. All right. Yeah, one quick announcement. This is the kind of final date to sign up for a shirt. Remember last week we talked to you guys about getting shirts for Jesus Week. And one of the main goals... Is uh, 
One of the main goals is that we would have basically across the campus during that week, we would have a number of different people representing a number of different ministries all wearing these shirts kind of for the, for the sake of raising publicity and raising awareness uh, about this week. And so um, this, is your, this is technically kind of the last night to sign up. So we need, we, we, if, if you want to get a shirt, 650 650 If you'd like to get a shirt, you don't necessarily have to pay tonight, though you can. You can pay cash. You can pay check. No. You can pay cash. You can pay, you can pay with a card using our Square account. All right? Um, we would love for you to do that. And so sign up tonight. If, if you've got the money or if you've got a card, great. If not, we'll get that squared away with you later, and, and you can pay next week. But the goal is actually, here's, here's how it works. We need to have these shirts in your hands by the Thursday after spring break because the week after that is Jesus Week, and on that Monday we want everybody wearing them. And so that's why we need people signing up now so we can get them to you now. So, yes. You wear them every single day? Monday, but not every single day, right? The goal is Monday, but if you want to be bold, you can go every day. So, that's right. They'll ask you about more than just a shirt. Um, so... So that's, that's something to be aware of. Afterwards, Molly will be up here, and you can come pay her, and you can come sign up and get your, tell her your shirt size and all that stuff. So please try and sign up if you can't pay. Second is this. Scott mentioned this. Um, we want to, before spring break, before uh, we kind of go our separate ways here, we would like to kind of pray for those of us who are using spring break to go somewhere, to go on some kind of missions trip or something like that. And so... I'd like to do that. Let me throw this to you real quick, too. Let me throw this out, okay? There's some of you who aren't going on a missions trip um, or going to do any sort of service project or anything like that this year, but there's some of you who are going home, and the truth is um, going back to your home is as difficult for you and requires as much service and patience and love as any missions trip does. And so what we're going to do here in just a second is I, I actually want, if you're going somewhere, I'd like for you to kind of stand up in just a moment, and then the people around you are going to pray for you. But um, I also kind of want to throw this out. If you're going home um, and, and really kind of going home, recognizing that it is a ministry thing that you're going home to, um, then, then I want you to, I, I'd like you to stand up too and so the people around you can pray for you. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll take just a couple of minutes to do that. Actually, let's right now stand up real quick. If you're, if you're going on a missions trip or basically ministry related things, whether that's your house or not afterwards. Okay. So, okay. Take a minute to kind of look around and judge everybody who's sitting. Okay. Um, <laughs> Anthony front row, prime judging material right here. If you want to No. um, totally kidding, totally kidding. Um, would you do this real quick? Would you kind of turn to the people who are maybe around you and just tell them where you're going so they can know how to pray for you? Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, now here's, here's what I want to do. I would like for you guys to... Um, just kind of gather around and uh, maybe uh, place your hands on these people, pray for them. I know if there's nobody around you, you can move to where there's maybe a bunch of people that, that, that are going to be hard to get prayed for. So do that for a second. I don't care if it's one person praying out loud or if you all want to pray out loud or if you all want to pray quietly. I don't care. So take, all right, take just take just a couple minutes to do that and then I'll kind of close this out uh, or I'll yeah bring us in a prayer so do that now dear God it is good uh, to look around this room and and to just see different people from this ministry going different ways and to know that um, the Holy Spirit goes where they go and and the Holy Spirit actually is is there ahead of them um, doing His work in people's lives. And, and wherever we go this week, I guess it is good to remember that um, you were there long before us and you'll be there long after us um, doing um, your work. Um, I pray this, Lord, that you would use us where we go this week and that you would give us your eyes to see people the way that you see them and to love them that way, 
that you would help us be an encouragement to any believers that we are around, serving them and loving them and, and uh, lifting their, their heart, their spirits, um, that you would help us to be a light to those who are lost, that they would see Jesus and, and be confronted by the truth of Him and His love and His sovereignty and His greatness. Um, and I pray this for everybody in this room. Our, our, our hope, Lord, is whether we are going on a missions trip or back to our home, whether there are students here going to the beach or going to a, a ski slope, Lord, that, that we would go um, with this goal in mind to bring honor and glory to you and that we would do whatever we do in the name of Jesus and for his, um, for his renown, for his, um, for his glory. I ask you that in your, in your son's name. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. So uh, I was uh, I, I was reading an article this week. Uh, had a chance to look at. There's this there's this professor. He's actually retiring after like 130 years or something at uh, at Ozark Christian College, where where Scott and I both went to school. His name's Kenny Bowles, and he really has. He was my dad's professor at Ozark. And, and was there before my dad was there. Um, so he recognized us both by being, we, we both showed up late all the time to his class. So he was able to track me as Steve Moss's son because I was the one like sprinting into the class and out of breath every morning at 7 a.m. But um, he, but, but so Kenny is, um, there, there are a number of different kind of Greek professors there who, who teach New Testament Greek. But Kenny is like the guy. If you want to know, if you want to know um, what a word means, if you want to be able to break down the Greek, then, then Kenny is the guy you go to. He's actually, I've, I've heard said that in what is kind of known as the Restoration Movement, Christian churches, um, Church of Christ, that stuff, that I've heard it said that he's probably the best Greek teacher in the nation in, in, in this movement is what it said. And so he knows his stuff. And, and what he does, he actually writes these little articles for Ozark's um, newsletters that come out and sometimes get posted on the website. They're just these short articles which are basically just a word study. It takes a, a, a word that's found in the New Testament in Greek and talks about it for a little bit. And so he wrote this one that I got to read this week on, on the word commitment, the idea of commitment, which is an important word for us as Christians, right? To be deeply, truly, 100% committed, to have a, a, a full commitment to Jesus, to be a committed follower of Jesus is something that all of us ought to be striving after. And that's something that I'd like to talk to you a little bit about tonight. The one problem is this. Technically, um, I can't give you a single Bible verse for it. In fact, and this is what Bowles points out in the article, if you were to flip to your concordance, you would not find that word in your Bible, at least not in the New Testament. The word commitment's not there nowhere in your english translation is it there so what's the deal did they did they think about that back then was that not a concept that they had no it was a concept that they had it was something that they talked about and they think about they didn't just have it as a concept they actually had a word for it and this is the word real quick okay um this is the word, and, and, and it's going to get a little bit, try not to giggle too much. The pronunciation is a little awkward. It's literally pistis, all right? That's how this word is pronounced. And also, don't be too impressed with my Greek skills, because this is like one of four words that I remember. So, um, but this is, this is the word pistis, and this idea was translated sometimes. If you go read in, in classical Greek, in secular or non-biblical Greek, this word would be translated as obedience or commitment, as I said, or um, what else do we have here? Loyalty. 
was another way that this word would get translated. So it was used back then in, in classical Greek, and, and this was the idea behind it, obedience, commitment. Bowles says this, it means to have such confidence in someone that you will do what he says, even if you don't understand why he says to do it. It means sticking with that person through thick and thin. That is the idea behind this word. And actually, uh, I told you a second ago, commitment is not in your Bible anywhere. This word actually is. 243 times this word is found in the New Testament. It's just not translated as commitment. It's just not translated as obedience. Over and over again, what pistis is translated as is faith. That's the idea behind it. Now, that's not, well, here's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that your English translation mistranslated it, that the ESV got it wrong, or that the NIV got it wrong. No, no, what I'm saying is that this word is bigger than our word faith can fully take in. That in general, there's a bigger, it, it encompasses a wider range, so it's more than just in general. Like, there, there's sometimes when you'll see it used, and it pretty much just means believe. But in general, when it talks about faith, or the verb pistuo, which is believe, that means more than just to kind of mentally agree with something. It means, it implies a commitment to. It implies a trust that leads to loyalty. That's the idea that gets talked about. This is the word that comes up over and over again in Hebrews 11. So faith in it. I remember when Kenny one time came in and he, he did a Devo for our dorm. Every Thursday night we would have like dorm Devos or whatever. And, and so some nights you had floor Devos and that was led by the RAs. Every now and then you'd add like a special one where the whole dorm got together and a professor usually would come in and give the Devo. So that was always something to be really excited about. And, uh, and one night we had Kenny coming to do our, our dorm Devo there at Williamson Hall. And it was this awesome thing, ready to kind of, anytime they were coming, you were ready to hear what they had to say. And, and I remember Kenny got up and he did this short little thing. The topic we gave him was faith. And he did this really short devotional about the idea of taking anywhere where you see the word faith in the Bible. And he said, what if you took anywhere where you saw that word faith and you just replaced it with faithful or faithfulness? if you just went through and kind of carried that concept in mind, and I remember thinking to myself, I don't think Kenny prepared for tonight. Like, I think he just, like, forgot, and, and then at the last minute, like, remembered he had to do something, and so he just kind of came up with it. I remember thinking it was kind of goofy or subpar, and, and I didn't recognize what he was saying, what he was talking about, and that is that the idea of faith carries in it a faithfulness, a commitment to, a, a full-on trust in that I don't just believe something, but I act in accordance with that belief. That's what he was getting at. And so it, with that definition in mind, all right, one of our number one values that we try to convey to you, actually it is first on our list, integrated faith. That is this idea that you would use every area of your life to glorify God. In light of this definition of faith, we could maybe just change integrated faith to just faith. Because that's what it means. That I, that I so entrust myself to God that every part of me belongs to Him. This is what he's getting at here. I, I want to, um, well let me just say this real quick. So, faith is, I'm, I'm saying this, faith is more than just believing something. It's more than just believing the right thing. But that is not to downplay believing the right thing. When I say that faith is more than just believing, actually, I'm not downplaying the believing part. In fact, I'm telling you this, that it becomes even more important that you believe the right thing. It, it, it increases the importance of our belief and what it is that we put our faith in, if faith implies more than just a belief. Let me unpack that, or more, more than that, let's let Hebrews 11 unpack that just a little bit. Here's um, what we read at the very beginning. The writer's definition of faith is in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is two things, Scott pointed out to you. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Um, as he said this, the second part everybody gets. Um, the conviction of things unseen. Faith is believing in, knowing that something I, I don't see really is true, that it really does exist. We all get this. You don't even necessarily have to be a Christian to have that definition of, of faith. That's kind of the easy part. Check, we all got it. It's that first part there, the assurance of things 
hoped for that's a little bit bigger. And, and those are not synonymous. He's not saying it's the assurance of things hoped for, i.e. the conviction of things unseen. That's not what he's saying. These are two separate but connected overlapping ideas. There's the conviction of things unseen. Yes, I believe something exists, but the assurance of something hoped for, that is what I want, I know I'll get. What I'm longing for, I know will take place. Let me, uh, let me put this in pirate language for you, okay? Um, let's, let's say you discover somewhere in your house or somewhere here in the table, I don't know, something like that. You come across a treasure map. And, and you find, you with me there? Oh, you probably, okay. Um, you find, and, and, and it's got, it's got the, it's like your standard treasure map. It's got the dotted line that goes all over places, you know what I mean? And maybe if it's in a cartoon, it does like loops and stuff like that. And, and so it takes you all across this place. And then at the end, there's a big X. And X marks the spot where the treasure chest is. And you decide you're going to go look for this treasure. But the problem is even as you look at the map, before you even start, you recognize that this is going to take you through some very difficult terrain and some very dangerous locations. And there are going to be times when it will be really difficult. When you begin to make that journey, and as that journey is going, you need to believe two things. Okay? You need to believe, of course, that the treasure chest is real, that it exists even if you can't see it with your eyes, even if it's buried somewhere, even if it's miles away from you according to the map, you need to believe that it exists. But truthfully, that's only half of what you need. You also need to believe this, that what's in that treasure chest is worth the journey. That, like it's, that that treasure chest has something in it that's worth having, that's worth difficulty, that no matter how dangerous the terrain is, no matter how difficult the circumstances might be when I start off or in the middle of it, I'm not turning back because I believe these two things, that a treasure chest exists and that there's a treasure in there that's worth having, that's worth all of these things. So that is um, the conviction of things unseen and the assurance of things hoped for. This is what he's getting at. We see it unpacked a little bit more explicitly in verse 6. Those two things come up again, only he reverses the order. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, the conviction of things unseen, and that he rewards those who seek him, the assurance of things hoped for, that what I hope for, what I want when I chase after God, when I continue to remain faithful to him, is worth it, that he rewards that. That's what I need if I'm going to have a faith that will please God, if I'm going to continue on and to draw near towards him. This idea of a reward that's, that's there at the end, uh, a reward that's worth the journey is actually the underlying theme of Hebrews 11. And in some ways, kind of the underlying theme of how he's going to wrap this up and push his, his audience on as he writes these things. It pops up several times in here explicitly. I believe it's the undercurrent for the whole chapter. But it pops up several places like verse 6 and like verse 10 where it says this about Abraham as he travels from his home to Canaan. It says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So what the writer of Hebrews says is Abraham packs up and he leaves everything. He leaves his home and his family and all he has to go, I guess he, he takes what he has, his family, but he leaves all he knows and he goes to this land that he hasn't seen before and, and that God is telling him is going to be his and his people someday. And, and the writer says, but this is the truth. Abraham's actually, it's, it's not even Canaan that he's really looking for. He says what he's going for is a different home, a greater home, one whose designer and builder is God. Verse 16 pops up talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and it says this, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So it says this, all of these people, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, they lived in this land that God promised to them, and they didn't actually even get to call it theirs. They lived in tents there. They never really even got to fully settle in and take root. It wasn't until much later that their descendants would settle in there. They were, he says in verse 13, strangers and exiles on this earth. 
But it says this, that they were actually looking to a better country, recognizing that that one wasn't theirs, but that there was a heavenly one that God had prepared for them. That's what they wanted. Verses 25-26 through 26 talks about Moses choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to, or than to enjoy the fleeting treasure of sin. It says this, and this is, this is a mind-blowing verse that Scott mentioned, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt. That is, that's, that's actually kind of crazy. Not, not just he considered the reproach of Christ worth it for the greater wealth than what he would get in Egypt. No, the reproach of Christ itself, the rejection and the difficulty and the hardship that comes with following Jesus, he said that in and of itself was a greater wealth than all the riches of Egypt. To be in line with who Jesus is, to put myself in His spot, to be with Him. That, in and of itself, is a greater treasure, and that is the reward that He works. Um, what sustains us in our journey as Christians, what sustains us in our faith, what sustains us in our commitment to God is this belief. Not only that God exists, but the conviction that chasing Him down is worth it, in spite of everything. And And you might think that I'm being somewhat melodramatic by using that word sustain. Really, Drew? Sustains us? Like, like, like keeps us alive? Keeps our faith surviving? Yeah. See, like, it's really easy right now to think to yourself, for most of you, maybe this isn't true for all of you, it's really easy right now to just assume that your faith will continue tomorrow. That your faith will continue in 10 years or that it will continue growing and continue being strong and being something real and vibrant 15 years from now. It's easy because you're in a spot where, where you've got all kinds of community and friendship around you. And you've got all kinds of resources feeding into you on a regular basis. And Scott mentioned this last week. There will be a time for many of you where you end up in a place where you don't have this community around you and you don't have the resources pouring into you and life just gets in the way. And, and, and do not assume, do not assume that faith in your life continues without vigilance. Do not assume that your journey will continue on, that you'll continue to grow and press on and draw near to God without intentional endurance on your part. You need those things if you're going to continue to grow, if you're going to continue to cling tightly, to hold, to draw near to Jesus and all He is. You need those things, and the way that you get those things, vigilance and endurance, is through a better recognition that it is worth it. That what God has for you in the end is worth it. And I believe this, that the life we live now even, even in this life, that the difficulties or hardships that we may face or whatever may come across, is it's worth it to know Him and to follow after Him. Um, here's where we get confused. Here's where the word sustain sounds a little bit melodramatic because we recognize, like for, for the people that, that the writer's talking about in Hebrews 11, like they needed some, something to sustain them, right? And for the audience, like they need, you're talking about a people who are dealing with pressure, social pressure and persecution and, and dealing with poverty and all these things. They, they need to see what the writer's talking about. They need to know there's a reward there. We don't necessarily deal with that. The Christian life, honestly, for us, if we're being real, is easier for us than it was for them. But don't assume that that's always an advantage. Don't assume that that's going to make your Christian life better. In fact, often it does just the opposite. See, here's their temptation. Their temptation is midway through the journey to think this is far too hard and far too difficult and I'm turning back to where I went. Turning back from the Jesus thing and going back to the Judaism thing. Our temptation is somewhere along the journey to get so caught up in the comfort and relative ease and existence and how nice things are around us to just stop partway through. And maybe to even think that we've actually continued the journey because I haven't gone home. I haven't gone back to that like, you know, pagan way of living. I haven't gone back to being completely worldly. But what we've really done is we've just kind of settled for like Christian niceties. And, you know, being polite and being like a good person. But, but, but we're not actually like living the kind of life that's described here in Hebrews 11 by faith 
an utter commitment that is based in this belief that God exists and that He is worth everything I have for Him. It gets so easy for us in, in a world where things are kind of nice, um, where, where it's not that hard to be Christian. It gets so easy to get sucked into the way of the world and to forget this, what, what he says, that, that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob recognized that they were strangers and exiles on this earth, that this one wasn't theirs. This, this country that they're in wasn't their country. This home wasn't their home. And it gets so easy for us, I know in my own life, to believe that this is it for me. To, 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 to buy into the, yeah, yeah, I know, I know heaven is my actual home, my citizenship is there, as Philippians 3 says, but to live as though all that really matters is what's happening here. This is what Peter says to a group of people. 1 Peter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This is Peter talking to people who are, by the way, I believe, experiencing persecution as well. Paul says, or Peter says, you know what the biggest trial you have? It's not necessarily outward persecutions, but it's the passions of the flesh. And he uses this, if you want to talk melodramatic, wage war against your soul. This is what Peter would want to say to them, and, and this is what the writer of Hebrews would say to us, and what I want to say to you and to me, and that is this, that we should not be comfortable here. We're not supposed to be comfortable here. I'm not saying you have to try to get yourself in trouble with people. I'm not saying you, got, you have to try to agitate people, but, but, but there might be something wrong if this world just seems like you seem to fit really well. Don't, don't buy into the lie that what matters most is what's happening right now in your life. Don't buy into the lie that there is more joy found in this world and its systems in the passions of the flesh and in the offerings, the temptation that sin has for you. Don't buy into the lie that there's more joy found in that than there is found in Jesus, than there is found in obeying Him and following after Him. My heart for us, and, and I speak so much to myself tonight, is that we would be vigilant that we would set our minds on God and His reward, that I would not live just for this life, but that I would live for the life to come and what's coming. Here's my encouragement that we would, by faith, embrace God's values rather than the world's. And that we would, by faith, give of our time and money and resources when nobody else wants to. And that, by faith, we would not settle comfortably into the world's entertainment, allowing it to set our standard for holiness, but instead allowing <laughs> Jesus Himself and the holiness of God to be the standard that we run after and chase after with all our life, that we would do these things by faith in this, that He exists and that there is greater joy and that there is greater reward and there is greater beauty found in knowing and chasing after Him than in anything else that this life offers. Success, good grades, steady income, comfort, none of those, none of those hold a candle to the joy that's offered to us in Jesus, no matter how hard it may be to chase after that. That's where Hebrews 12 is going in two weeks. That's how Hebrews 12 is going to open up in just two weeks, and I'm excited to get there with you guys. Um, we want to do this um, before, we, before we kind of close out. Uh, uh, can the Harrelsons, can you guys come up here real quick? And Scott. The Har you guys, I think everybody knows the Harrelsons here by, by now. If not, you should. Um, and this is their last, last night, kind of this year, with us um, for semi-important reasons, I guess. Um, that's Scott on review. So, you want to tell us what's coming? What's happening? You stole a basketball. And yeah. We're going into the uh, smuggling business. We're trying to run things across the border. We're trying to hide it. Uh, but now we're having a little girl in three weeks. Uh, she doesn't decide to come before or after that. 
sets it up. She organizes the food for our, um, for you guys, for that she coordinates the table groups to come and bring food. She brings, foods on, brings food on off nights. I don't know what Andrew does, other than <laughs> carries food. <laughs> <laughs> Looks big and intimidating. I'm just here to enforce the rules. Yeah, <laughs> I make the money. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, no, they, they come faithfully, and they don't have to be here. This is something they, they want to do, and, and so we're just thankful for them. And so I want to, we want to pray and, and thank God for them and, and pray for their upcoming adventure. And uh, we can't wait to meet her and, and all those things. So let me pray. Pray with me. God, I'm thankful for this couple so much. Um, just the way that they have come to this, to this, uh, this church, come to this ministry, have given of themselves. They, they've opened their home. Ah, I remember what Andrew's done. He hosts the table group. He, he, he meets with guys. He throws cards at each other. Uh, he does lots of things. And um, I'm thankful for both of them, for the way that they have opened a home and opened their life and um, shared of their resources and given of their time. God, they, they really are just displaying in action the kind of faith that they have in you, a, a belief that you've called them. Um, a belief that you exist and that you reward those who, who seek them, that there's a great reward in you and just serving you and being available to others. And God, I'm thankful for their, their life and the way that they've demonstrated that to us. We give you all the glory and praise. And we are here to just say thank you. And uh, we ask that, God, you would, um, over these next few weeks, that you would just give them a, a greater sense of, of vision and purpose for their life and for their family and for this little girl that's coming and, and God that they would be surrendered to you in all things and I pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys. Thank you. Hey remember yeah yeah <laughs>